Well, we are starting a new series today. We'll run this uh, for the next few months. We're calling it Storytime, Big Events of the Bible. It's um, come to my attention, my awareness that in spite of the fact that many of us, and uh, maybe you're one of those, they've been in church years, perhaps your entire life, there comes a point when some of the what we call the large narratives of Scripture become a little fuzzy. And we're like, I, th- I think... Hmm, I'm not sure. And so we just kind of hold back. We wouldn't really know where to find those stories in the Bible if we had to look for them. And we just kind of gloss over that and we spend a lot of time in the New Testament. So we're going to spend some, some weeks on big stories, big accounts through the Old Testament to help us kind of get reoriented to what's in there for us. So we're calling it story time. And we're going to start at the beginning, which Julie Andrews said is a very good place to start, right? So if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to find, this is the easiest it's ever going to be here. Genesis 1, verse 1. If you're in the Red Bible, it's page 3. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll tell you right now, some of the thoughts in today's message I've borrowed somewhat from uh, Pastor Tim Keller from uh, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York. A uh, wonderful, amazing pastor and writer. If you ever get a chance to listen to anything by Keller or read anything of his, do it. Uh, you won't be sorry. It's great material. It's a great godly pastor. All right, I'm going to begin reading from Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the water seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And this is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars and God set the lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was, you guess it, good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. On the fifth day, God went on to create all the creatures that swarm in the waters and filled the sky with birds and flying creatures. And in the end of that day, it was the end of the fifth day. And then finally, on the sixth day, God decided 
that he would create all living creatures. He said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, producing offspring from the same kind. And so on. And God made the livestock and the wild animals. And even then in verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. And verse 28 says, then God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and the, all the fruit trees for your food. I have given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. And God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And the evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Chapter 2 says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was com- completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from his work of creation. And this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. The biblical account of creation is viewed today largely as a symbolic myth. It's as an imagined and poetic explanation of the origin of life. We've been taught that evolutionary theory is factual and undeniable. Even most Christians will typically say, well, it doesn't matter how God created, whether by evolution or ages of time. It's just enough to know He created. But biblical creation is essential in historic Christian doctrine. We've lost our way on this in part because of at least three troubling assumptions. I want to share three of them with you. The first assumption is that, is that um, we assume that because we can't understand or explain something, it must not be true. But isn't science making new discoveries all the time? There's lots we still do not comprehend. The second assumption is that the Bible is just religious and therefore in conflict with science. But we're using the word science pretty loosely when it comes to these things. My understanding, science teachers help me out with this, is that it really needs to be observable and repeatable. I got a a sort of nod on that. But neither creation nor evolution are either of those things. The third assumption is that all observable processes are the same today as they've always been. For example, that the speed of light is and has always been constant. But just because something is one way now does not mean it has always necessarily been that way. To be fair, the creation account from the Bible leaves many unanswered questions. It's helpful to remember that the Bible is selective in what it reports. The Bible doesn't tell us everything. The writers of of Scripture didn't tell us everything we want to know, but they recorded all that the Holy Spirit needed for us to know. Now, I, I want to be very careful and not insult you or disparage you in any way if you believe in the theory of evolution. But let's be frank. 
to believe that we evolved and evolution is a belief raises more questions, at least for me, it raises more questions than it answers. How did it all start from nothing? Why does everything have design and order? How did the universe create itself out of chaos? Where did the Big Bang come from? And how did some of the particles from that great explosion moving rapidly in all directions suddenly defy physics and stop and turn upon themselves to create great balls of matter and morphed into stars and planets with no two alike? Why is the universe at consistent temperature if that super explosion started things with massive heat energy in one location? How did the earth come to orbit the sun in such perfection? Why do we need the moon to regulate the tides? Why is this planet inhabitable? Why, why didn't different kinds of beings emerge on other planets? Why have life at all? Why have such endless variety of life? How do species mutate? Keep in mind that mutation is a loss of genetic information, not the addition of it. How did species add genetic information in such a way that males and females formed in drastic, systemic, instantaneous, survivable ways at the same time, in the same location, under conditions such as to be able to procreate? And how did that happen repeatedly millions of times? How did humans become sentient? How do we explain fossil records of different species jumbled up together in the Earth's stratus? Why have a variety of species in every environment? If species were involving, why didn't they cease to exist once they involved? Why are we here? And why, if you and I are all just a happy accident of the cosmos, why do we have an innate desire to survive and to seek out the mystical reality of a higher spiritual realm? Someone please help me understand. The problem with saying, well, it doesn't matter to me if it's true or not, is that the Bible writers and Jesus himself affirm God as creator and support a natural reading of Genesis 1 and following. They make no distinction between the days of creation and ordinary 24-hour days. I'm not making this up, but I'm, I'm asking the questions. Nevertheless, and this is crucial, how God made all things is honestly not as important as why he created Surprise, God wanted to enjoy fellowship with his creation. That's why he made you, to have a relationship. Revelation 4.11 says that God created because he wanted to, because it pleased him to do so. Secularists do want to explain our origins, but logically, these explanations make you a pointless accident of the cosmos. At best, you exist to serve the environment or maybe yourself at worst, you're a worthless byproduct of random, unknowable forces. That should help you sleep at night. Denying biblical creation leads to hopelessness because it lacks purpose. Instead, the Bible reveals to us a creator who made this world and made you on purpose and with a purpose. It's a world of beauty and pleasure and delight. This is the God who gave you taste buds and... Delicious, delicious flavors to enjoy with those taste buds. This is the creator who formed a planet with endless variety of colors and textures and the eyesight to take it all in. This is the God who gave us the ability to laugh, to sing, to make babies and to have fun doing that. I will tell you, the first service was really quiet on that one. There are creation myths in many ancient people groups, but none comes close to the simplicity and the peacefulness and the loving intentionality of the way it's given to us in the Bible. Because God created 
as it, we, the, the Latin phrase is ex nihilo, out of nothing God created. Look, the key here, first, if you're following the outline in your program today, the first key is this, that in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Now, I, most everyone agrees that there was a beginning at some point, that the cosmos had to start somewhere, whether recently or, or 13.8 billions of years ago. It started at some time and some place. But the Christian understanding is that God did not enter a self-created cosmos to form a world, nor did the world or people form God, nor did God sort of rise up out of the ooze and take over. Our understanding is that God created, and you see it in that first chapter of Genesis, that God created time, He created space, He created matter, and He created life. The biblical account of creation raises one really big question, which, which we touched on already, that if this, is, if this account is fictional or symbolic only, what happens to the credibility of the rest of Scripture? My challenge is that rather than assuming it can't be true, why not ask what evidence we could expect to find if it were true? You might be surprised. There is a, a number, there's a lot of really great resources on this. One that I could recommend for an easy, easy start in reading this is a guy named Russ Miller. He's a, he's a tour guide in the Grand Canyon. And Russ wrote a book on the flood. And we'll talk about more, of that, more about that in a few weeks. And he just said, hey, we all agree about the essential elements of what formed the, the earth. But if there had been a global catastrophic flood, what would you expect to see? He lists the evidence and says, okay, do we see those things? And the same thing could be said of creation. So I'd encourage you, don't just assume it's not true. Investigate. What else can we say about God's work as recorded in Genesis? Well, the second thing on your outline is this, that God created only by his word and his word is a person. God created only by his word and his word is a person. At each stage of creation, God spoke and it came to be. God created through his word and we learn from the rest of scripture that God's word is Jesus. Look at what it says in John chapter one, verses one through four. That in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. John, the gospel writer, speaking of Jesus, and he, he says everything was created through him. The word gave life to all things. That's John writing. The apostle Paul wrote as well in Colossians chapter one. We should read this one together. Ready? Go. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Now, this was written before we had microscopes, electron microscopes, before we could look down at particles to their tiniest elements. And here we have Paul saying, Jesus holds it all together. It's a wonder everything doesn't fly apart. How does that not? How does everything not just go flinging off into space? Paul says Jesus is holding all things together because everything was created through him. 
It's a bold, bold claim. Most Christians will ask, yeah, but couldn't God have used an evolutionary process to create? Well, of course he could. God can do whatever he wishes to do. But we're told that he created by his word, not that he initiated an evolution. Both John and Paul, as we just read, claimed that all was created through Jesus, the living word. And Genesis 1 is specific in that when creating plants and animals, God created each according to their own kind. It was God who created the divisions of species, genus, family, and so on. Animals do adapt through natural selection. We can observe that, but only by dropping genetic information, not by adding it. The only exception in God's creation by his spoken word is the creation of people. That's an exception. At Genesis 1.26, we read that. That God said, let us make man in our own image. Mankind in our own image. The loving community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit took on the group project of making humanity. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We didn't read that for far, but verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into a man's nost- into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Adam was crafted with the personal touch of the hand of God. Formed by the Creator. It's pretty cool. Thousands of years later, when God sent Jesus, people came face to face with their Maker. John chapter 1, verse 10 says that He, speaking of Jesus, came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. Do you recognize your Maker? The writers of the Bible said, Jesus created it. We live in a time when we say, no, it created itself. Do you recognize Jesus, your maker? We also see that God created and it was very good. God created and it was very good. Verses 4 and 12 and 18 and 21 and 25 and 31 all say that God commended his own creation as good or very good, as we read. Revelation 4.11 records the worship of the living beings in heaven who bow down and say this. You are worthy. Do we have that one on the screen? I think I've got that one as well. Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created whatever you pleased. I was a young kid, probably a preteen, and we, we would sing a little song in church where I grew up. Out of the King James Version, it was direct from Scripture. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord. Anybody old enough to remember that? Thou art worthy to receive glory, glory and honor and power. For thou hast created, hast all things created. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. God created what he wanted to create. It was God's pleasure to create. And he's not only done that, he's given the creation for you to enjoy all things. Now, Christianity is unique because the biblical worldview is unlike 
anything else. It really, it really blew people's minds when it came on the, on the scene after the resurrection of Jesus and Paul was traveling and planting and preaching. So I want you to imagine, imagine a big sphere. Imagine like, you know, like a globe or a big sphere. It's got two halves to it. On one, on one half, we'll have what, I'll summarize it as, as mysticism. On one half we have mysticism, which includes religions of all kinds, Eastern thought, some philosophy. And mysticism says the spirit or the soul, the mind, that's good. But the body, not so good. The body is bad. The, the, what, what you the, the, the create the kind of the natural things, the, the things you can touch and see, that's kind of pointless and worthless. What really matters is the mystical. What really matters is the spirit. What really matters is some great beyond. And so mysticism seeks to escape from the body and escape from the world. The goal is heaven or the reward of 70 virgins or or Nirvana, or Avalon, or whatever version they believe in that. And in mystical, they say, it's good and the earth is bad. So mysticism includes both the monk who punishes himself, who self-flagellates, who crawls on his hands and knees till he's bloody, to somehow prove that, that, that he despises the body, but is somehow achieving some mystical higher plane. Mysticism might also include the bohemian who, who just does what he wants because it doesn't matter what you do to your body. On the other hand, the other half of the, of the sphere, we have materialism. Materialism says that otherworldly stuff, there's, there's nothing to that. What matters is this. What matters is what I can see. What matters is what I can feel. What matters is the pleasure I can indulge in. Materialism says the body is good. The earth is good. Pleasure is good. Live it up. Enjoy it. This is all you got. Materialism includes the hedonist who lives for carnal pleasure as well as the environmentalist, for example, who hopes to create a a utopia on earth. Now, you've got this sphere of these two sides and I want you to imagine opening it up. And as you crack this two-sided globe open, inside you find Christian doctrine. One reason why Christian doctrine was so radical in ancient times is that they said, no, it's both good. They're both good. On, on one hand, God created the earth to be good and to be enjoyed. It's for, our, it's for our enjoyment. But the hope of heaven is also wonderful. This is good and that's good. It's either. I mean, it's not either or, or it's both. Mystical and material. And God wants you to be fully present. Fully engaged, body and spirit. The difference is, we don't make either mysticism nor materialism an idol. We don't live for either of those things. We live for the glory of God. But we deeply enjoy both that God has given us. In fact, at the end of time, we're told that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth for us to enjoy. We're not, we're not all, you know, sometimes we've, we've, I think some of our old songs kind of betrayed us a little bit. So I just want to leave this earth and go be with Jesus. Well, guess what? We're promised that God's going to create a new earth, that the city, the great final city of God is going to come to earth. We're going to enjoy all those things that we find are so fun now. We're going to enjoy them in a perfect, perfect kind of way. It's all good. My question is, can you let yourself enjoy creation 
and all its benefits without worshiping it. Finally, God created to reveal his character. God created to reveal his character. Every other religion and philosophy has to reject biblical creation because of this one unavoidable truth. That if there's one creator, then I'm created. And if I'm created, I'm answerable to my creator. I'm not the boss. I'm not in charge. I'm not the authority. Creation shows that God is God and I am not. That God made us to know him. That we did not make God to be like us. Romans 1.20 says this. Maybe we can read this one together on the screen. Ready? Go. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. God has placed the evidence of himself throughout the world, throughout creation, through, through everything that we can see. And the devil has worked overtime to convince us to deny creation or at least to be horribly embarrassed about it. Right? What kind of intelligent person could ever believe in a biblical creation? I had a good conversation with someone after the service today in first service and just admitting that we've got incredibly brilliant people who are all over the map on this subject. Super, super smart people. And I'm not one of them. I'll just admit that. So I, I, I confess, I don't. We're not meant to fully grasp all this is, but we we could understand everything about God. He wouldn't be God, would he? But he's left evidences of himself throughout creation. Paul says just looking at creation is enough to reveal God. What do you see in creation? I see order. I see beauty. I see variety. I see humor. I see awe. But if God is creator, then he's still the authority. We submit to God. God sets the standard for morality and value. Human life is value because God made it. You are made in God's image. You have the innate desire, therefore, and the need to do what God does, to create, to love, to enjoy the earth and what he's made. Psalm 19, I want to share one more verse with you. Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Friend, you are not a random accident of a self-creating cosmos. You have a design because you have a designer. You have purpose. But you also have someone to answer to. He created you for a friendship with him, not on your terms, but on his. Revelation 1 and 2 starts at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. I don't want you to get stuck on those details of how God could make things to be. But I need you to understand you're no accident of the universe. I'll just share with you my own journey and sort of 
wrestling through some of these things started many years, about 15 years ago when we were planting a church and I got a phone call from a person who said, hey, are you, um, we're thinking about coming to your church. I said, well, that's great. We'd love to have you. We've got room for more. And she said, I just want to know, do you believe in a literal six day creation? I honestly thought she was a bit of a nut job. Um, and I just couldn't understand why she would even ask the question. And I said, well, I'm not really willing to commit. I, God could do things however he wants to do them. And she said, well, I don't think we can come to your church. And I was thinking, well, good. I don't need you. But that started me asking some questions and started me thinking and reading and exploring. Realizing there are some pretty wonderful scientists who've explored this and have have looked at some ways to, to try to define and explain those things that are unexplainable. So, I've landed on a person, I've landed on a much more conservative place, but I, I don't, I'm not here to insult or denigrate you and where you are on your journey. What I know is God's given us for a reason, to reveal his character, to reveal his love for the world, to begin to lay the groundwork for what he will finish with. Started with a perfect creation, he will end with a perfect creation. We're in the coming weeks, we're going to look at what happened when we got involved, when sin entered the world, and all the trouble that came with that, till it leads us to Easter, when we discover Jesus who was given to rescue us from all of that trouble, to set us free from sin. What I want you to hear today is you're no accident. You're no happy accident of the cosmos. You have a purpose. The purpose of your life is to know your maker, to enjoy what he's created, and to honor him with your life. And that you can do. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us this creation to enjoy. I thank you for the awesome surf as it crashes on the Pacific coast. I thank you for those sequoia trees that are just so massive and astounding. I thank you for the snow-capped Sierras. I thank you for open plains and Deserts, Lord, all places you've given to us to enjoy in various ways. Most importantly, God, I thank you for the most precious part of your creation, which is people. Which is us, Lord God, you you made us with special attention and special detail and special care. And you made us like yourself. God, we we could spend a lifetime trying to come to grips with that and we'll never fully understand that and I thank you. I think that we'll never exhaust all there is to know. Lord, my desire is that we would worship you as creator and seek to make you known. You've given us a purpose. You've made us on uh, with a design. And God, our desire is to know you. We have no excuse to not know you because you've placed evidence of yourself all around. So God, I ask that you would even be honored in our, our very lives even this day. As we, as we enjoy what you've made and give you thanks and praise for it. And churches, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I don't want to miss the opportunity.
to say this, if you don't know Jesus personally, if you don't know your Creator, if you don't know your Maker as your Savior, as the person who's forgiven your sin and given you new life in Christ, if you don't know Jesus in that way, I want to give you that opportunity to respond. You can just raise your hand and we'll pray together after the service. Anybody like that today, you say, I want to know Jesus. I want to have new life. All right. So God, we're grateful. Help us to enjoy what you've made even in these days to come, to be thankful for it and to give you praise. In Jesus' name.